Take your Bible this morning and turn back to that passage of Scripture uh, that we read there in Exodus chapter 12. And I hope and I pray that the Lord will enable me uh, to preach this message uh, that uh, I worked on pretty much all week. It, I actually, I thought about what I was going to preach on, had looked at several different passages, and uh, ended up on settling on this one late Thursday morning and worked on it all day Thursday and then most of the day Friday. I've entitled this message, and we've preached from Exodus 12 in the past on the Lord's table. If you want to hear those messages, they're out on Sermon Audio. But we're going to look at it from a different aspect. I, yeah, I, I don't know about you, but there's a tendency in all of us because of our humanity. Uh, we have a tendency to, to not consider the serious nature of this ordinance that we are called on to partake of by our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't ever want to get to the point to where it's just a routine or a ritual because this is not a routine or a ritual. This is a, this is a memorial service. This is a reminder this is, you think about this, this is one of the tools, one of the means God has given you and me to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. And that's why I don't understand why anybody, number one, I don't understand why any child of God, born of God, redeemed by God's grace, who has had their sins completely, totally, or at least professed they've claimed that their sins are put away completely and totally and eternally, why, first of all, they'd ever neglect the worship and the fellowship of the saints of God's children. You can't, listen, if, if that's you this morning, if you think that, that church or attendance of church worship or being with your brothers and sisters in Christ is a small thing, is of no importance, it's something that's just kind of take it or leave it, examine yourselves. That's not work salvation, Kenny. That's just reality. I tell you what, for the most part, if, if, I, if, a, if a person told me they loved their husband, they loved their wife, they loved their children, and they never were around their husband, they were never around their wife, they, they were never around their children, what would you think? If they told you, I love my family, what would you think? Or if you treated your job like you treat the most, what should be the most important thing, how long do you think you'd have a job? We have people that scattered across the United States. I don't know outside of the United States. I just know I've talked with people. I don't guess I can get international calls from people. But all them people across the country that they would give anything to have a gospel church close to them. I asked one young man this week, I said, if a gospel church sat 20, 30, 40 miles from you, would you be there every Sunday? He said, I'd be there every single solitary Sunday. Now, I don't know if he's being truthful or honest. But he said, I hadn't had one in so long, I'd give anything to be there. And we have people that drive regularly to be with us consistently, 100, 120 miles every week, and done it for a decade. We have a couple that drove down from Kentucky to be with us today. And I had the privilege and honor of brothers and sisters in Christ of baptizing them. Drove out, what, about 14 hours? 14 hours. And that's what we see here. I mean, you think about what we read just a moment ago. How long, how long were they going to celebrate that Passover? 
Do you think those Jews ever neglected what God commanded? Because I tell you what, if they didn't do it, Kenny, if they didn't celebrate the Passover, what was going to happen? Now let me begin this morning by, that's just, a, that's, that's, all, that's out of the top of my head. I'm, one of them things I had to say it or blow up. I'm telling you folks, a, a guy told me years ago, there's one thing that I do, do actually believe that this guy told me, and it stands true. People are where they want to be. You hear me? If you're here this morning, you want to be here. And if you're not here this morning, you don't want to be here. And so you're not. Still, that's beside the point. Let me begin by saying this. And I want to make this as clear as I can. And I know this is going to sound kind of strange, but I just think it's a point that needs to be made in my generation. I, I don't think me or any other gospel preacher, I don't care who they are, how long they've been doing it, none of us, listen to this now, none of us are divinely inspired. Oh, oh, wait. Listen to me now. What do you mean, Pastor? You're not divinely inspired. This is what I mean. I don't believe that God speaks to his pastors and gives them each week, word for word, exactly what they're supposed to say to people. When men talk like this, the Lord spoke to me this week. Unless it's spoken from this word, that dude needs to be in the nut house. And he doesn't need to be listened to. Those who wrote the scriptures, the apostles, the prophets, King David, they were divinely inspired, were they not? By God the Holy Spirit. And he literally breathed out through them the word of life. All scripture, Paul wrote. How much all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration of God is the word that means that it breathed. It's breathed out. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good word. Let me read it to you in, in, in the Young's literal translation. Every writing, you hear me? Every writing is God-breathed. And profitable for teaching, for conviction, for setting a right, for instruction that is in righteousness, that the man of God may be fitted for every good work having been completed. These chosen vessels, these apostles, these prophets, uh, these kings, Moses, these chosen vessels, they were ordained to God to record for us everything God had to say to the objects of his love. All of his pastor teachers since the day that they completed the word of God, all his pastor teachers are called to do one thing, preach out or declare or evangel everything that was written down by those who were divinely inspired of God. Believe that? I do. That's why this word's so important. That's why we should, we're commanded by our God to do what? Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study what? This book. Again, how much time do we spend in the Word of God? 
How much time have you dedicated in your life this week to look at the promises of God to you, to His love words to you, and count them important to you as an individual? Now, even though I don't think I'm divinely inspired, you know one thing I am grateful for? I'm grateful that God, by His providence, He does lead, guide, and direct me in my studies each week the things that are profitable to me and things I hope that are profitable to you. I hope that I don't ever stand up here and say anything that is of no value to any of us. If I do, I've not preached the gospel. That's the long and the short of it. And I tell you, this week was one of those times, more than any other time. Yeah, those of you who follow our church Facebook page or follow me on Facebook, you know that I, I read every day and I post multiple devotionals by Robert Hawker and William Mason and and J.C. Philpott, every day. Try to every day. And the thing that I find so interesting is this week, now there, there's no time frame involved in any of this. This week it seemed like every dadgum devotional that I read, morning or evening portion this week, you know what it concerned? Every one of them. The Lord's table. Every one of them. I, I thought... And every one of them had an impression on me. And they impressed me that, that I had not counted this thing as, as valuable and as important and as essential and as necessary as I, as I should. I, it it did, deeply convicted me. It really did. And one of them in particular that I ran up on was this one written by this man? I'm going to read, the, the, read part of it to you at the end of this message. It was so good. I was just astonished by what he said. It's by one of my favorite authors, old Robert Hawker, and it's on our text for today. Look at verses 26 through verse 27. Verse 26, 27. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? And this kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning. For your children to ask you, what mean you by this service? What have you got to be doing? Huh? For your children to ask you, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, why do you spend so much time on this thing? You've got to show them how important this thing is, don't you? I mean, that's, that's, what, this, that's what this says to me. What they go, your children are going to ask, and they're not, they won't ask unless they've seen something. Now, this is not getting back to that the best sermon you can preach is the one that you live. That's not what I'm saying. But we teach our children and our family what's important to us by we, how we show our value of it, right? He said, they're going to ask you, what mean you by this service? But then notice this. All son, all daughter, figure it out on your own. No. Then shall you say. And here's the thing. What's our responsibility? Huh? Study to show yourself approved unto God. What's our responsibility? Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every person that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Then shall you say to them, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. 
and passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. That original word translated by that English phrase unto you, what mean you by that service? It's one, one word in the original. And it means the labor of a servant or a slave. The labor of a servant or a slave. And I always, you always look at things when I see words like that. I always try and I break them down to the lowest common parts of the words because I want to make certain that I'm right on this because I am a firm believer in the law first mentioned in Scripture. And the first time this word's used in the Scripture, you know what it's used at? I told Pam this this morning as I was reading it to her. It, 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 refer, it was used the very first time. Remember when Laban deceived Jacob? And he worked seven years. He thought he was working seven years to get Rachel. And he got up the next morning and he realized, who was it? It was Leah. Right? And so he storms outside to Laban, and he, said, he says to Laban, came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said unto Laban, what is thou this that thou hast done unto me? And I tell you, you know what I always think about when I read his statement back to his father-in-law? What had he done to his brother, along with his mama, to his daddy? Do you, do you see the point? <laughs> why, why do we try to get the, the, the speck out of somebody's eye when we got a two-before in our own? This guy, Jacob, was a schemer and a deceiver. And folks, he, he deserved nothing more than scheming and deception back toward him. And yet when scheming and deception comes his way, his first response is, What do you mean by this? Why have you done this to me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger unto, before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will, here's, the, here's the same word, we will give thee also for the service. And here's the word repeated a second time, back to back, which stop serve. You got to do the work of a servant. You got to do the work of a slave seven more years. And Jacob did so. And he fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And our text that we're looking at this morning, Moses told the children of Israel concerning this ceremony instituted by our God, that when their children asked them, what mean ye by this service? Those born of God, those regenerated, converted by God the Holy Spirit, you know what? They know and they faithfully answer the question that's asked. What do they say? It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. So the question then is this. We've got to ask this ourselves and we've got to be able to answer it for ourselves. Do I know, do I believe, and do I rest in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, who 
who is indeed the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Do I? And if I do, if I do, can I tell others about it? Can I tell my children? Can I tell my grandchildren? Can I tell my family, my brothers, my sisters, my friends, my fellow employees? The first thing I'd have you to notice out of these words, Moses, at this Passover they actively were commanded to participate in it. This is so important, especially since we're about to conclude the book of Hebrews in our Sunday Bible class. This Passover instituted by God that they were commanded to participate in and actively take part in, it had no saving value in it, in and of itself. What did it do? It typified and foreshadowed and pictured the greater and eternal deliverance God had promised all his people through that seed of the woman. It always comes back down to that, Ken. Everything in, everything in this book, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, it always comes back to the seed of the woman. It always comes back to that statement that John the Baptist made when he saw him coming. Behold the Lamb of God. We're talking about it. Isn't it amazing? Every time we talk about redemption and deliverance, what comes up? A lamb. We're told here. We'll see it in a few minutes. Every household was to take what? A lamb. They were looking for a lamb. Abel, what did he come with? He came with a lamb. So even though it had no saving value, it typified eternal deliverance. God had, you think about this. God had given Israel clear instructions, very clear. And as we saw just a moment ago when we read that in the Lord's in, in the, in the call to worship, he gave them precise details of how they're to do that. He told them how to choose the lamb. He told them what to do with the lamb. He told them how to sacrifice the lamb. He told them what they could and could not eat with the lamb. He told them, he didn't say, well, figure this out on your own. He told them, you place the blood where? You take a bowl. And in that bowl, what's in that bowl? Not just chicken blood. Where'd the blood come from? They had to be meticulous. When they killed that lamb, they collected its blood. And he said, you take that base in that bowl where that blood's at and you take that hyssop and you dip it in there and you put it across the lintel and on the doorpost. And then you go inside. He told them how to dress. He said, dress with your, your robe on your back, shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, eating with the other hand and be prepared to leave this place because the Lord's about to deliver you. And all of that was according to one specific promise it was the promise to Abraham in Isaac shall thy seed be called God had told Abraham that Israel was going down into Egypt how long were they going to be there 400 years and you know what almost to the day 400 years pass and according to God's promise they fixing to leave this place You think about the awful events that transpired shortly after God gave them these instructions. And when they, as God's chosen people, obeyed this command. Yeah, I bet you all them Egyptians saw all this, all this slaughter of these lambs and they're like, what are these silly Jews doing? What are they... What, 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 I bet you in their mind, they said, what mean you by all this murder? All this slaying? 
What's this about to accomplish? But you think who's about to come down. Think about the plagues that have come before. And this is the end of plagues. This is the last one. Look at verse 28 of our text. After he'd commanded them everything to do, notice what happened. And the children of Israel went away, and they thought about this thing, and they pondered, and they decided, well, we'll, we might do this. No, the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses, and Aaron so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. There's a lot of death happening here. From the firstborn of Pharaoh to the cattle, the firstborn calf in the barn. They're all dead. All of them. And Pharaoh rose up in the morning, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. Now listen, when this great cry went up, where were those Jews still at? Because he told them, don't you all come out till the morning. They hear all this. What's happening outside that door? What, what has visited Egypt? The wrath of Almighty God's come down. I, if you want to know what, I, I, people always talk about the wrath of God. Let me, let me settle the confusion concerning the wrath of God. Let me tell you what the wrath of God is. The wrath of God is eternal destruction. The wrath of God's what fell on Christ Jesus. And listen, the wrath of God was directed is always you look it up for yourself. The wrath of God is always directed against who? The reprobate. Never against his people. Not one instance. Read it in the New Testament. Look it up and read it in its context. The wrath of God falls on these people. Envision that. You go in and your son's dead. As a matter of fact, it, you know, when you think, I just thought about this popped in my head. It said the firstborn, not, we always assume it's a boy. What if the firstborn was a daughter? She died too. Walk in the morning and your child dead. Are you grown firstborn? Forty years old falls out dead. They hit and they hear that. I think about knowing him inside that boat. You don't think they heard the thunderclaps? You don't think they heard the rain falling on the boat on that ark? You don't think, and they had no scopolamine patches either. They felt every rock of that boat, didn't they? They felt every time as it was, because I guarantee you, if you, have, if you own a boat, and I've run into a bunch of stuff with mine, if you, as that thing's rising in the water, there were mountains. And trees, got no steering wheel to clear it. It's bumping into everything. And in their minds, I guarantee you, just because of who and what we are by nature, they're thinking, is this thing going to hold? Was there, any, was there any, any, any chance that it wouldn't? No, it's the Lord's Passover. So they hear that cry. It goes up. And he called Moses, verse 31, and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. 
Also take your flocks and your herds, as you've said, be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent with the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. And they said, we are all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened their kneading troughs being bound up in their claws upon their shoulders, clothes upon their shoulder. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians silver, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent them such things as were required. Required for what? What they need all that gold and silver for? All them jewels for for themselves? No. What was he going to do? What, what did all that become? All that those Egyptians willingly gave up, it became the Ark of the Covenant and the brazen serpent. The brazen, you know, the brazen, it, it became, it, it also, begot, some of it got made into that dadgum calf out there at the mountain. They had a lot of precious metal with them, didn't they? God had told them that, listen, he told them every firstborn of man and beast who didn't follow these precise instructions to the letter, what was going to happen to them? They were going to die. And I tell you what, if there had been a, a Jewish person who didn't participate, or they thought, eh, you know what, I'm going you know, to offer turtle dove. Or I'm going to kill a rabbit. That blood's blood. Don't make no difference. I'll kill a rabbit. What would happen to them? But now you follow this now. Everybody there in Egypt, in the land of Egypt, every firstborn that night, according to God's promise and according to God's threat, every firstborn in Egypt died that night. But now listen to this. Including those Israelites in their homes following the instructions of God concerning the Passover. You say, well, no, they didn't die. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. You think about this. Those Israelites inside who actively followed and participated in this ceremony to the letter, they died figuratively where? Because God required a sacrifice. They died where? In that lamb. What's that? Substitution. All them Old Testament saints don't know what we know. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. That word translated Passover, it means to skip over or to pass over. So the Passover, what does it set forth? It sets forth for you and me the gospel truth of substitution. It teaches us He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Like Noah, you think about this. These national Israelites, they found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was merciful to the whole group, was He not? And the Lord passed over them that night, taking satisfaction in the sacrifice of His own providing. He told them what Moses and Aaron and them did. These Jews didn't figure this out, this deliverance out on their own. Most people in my generation think their salvation's been worked out somehow by them. They didn't. 
God told them how, to, how this thing's going to fall out. Moses and Israel, you think about this. They, they saw salvation's where. It's of the Lord. It, it, he's got to deliver us. Didn't he teach them that lesson throughout the entire wilderness journey? And I'm going to tell you what. This is the thing. What we are going through as believers, as justified saints, you know what this is down here? This is our wilderness journey. And just like he taught them throughout that entire wilderness journey, you know what he's teaching us? He's teaching us the futility of this place wherein we dwell. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Are we not? Better be. We are. I can't help but think of, of Isaiah's words, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. And will not remember thy sin. This is so important. Not all those who followed those instructions and kept that feast of the Passover, not all of them possessed eternal life. Even though it typified and pictured eternal life and salvation through an accomplished work, many of them didn't. They were delivered temporally, Delivered temporarily from Egyptian bondage. But what happened to the majority of them? They died in the wilderness. Every one of them. Paul told those at Corinth. He said, now all these things happen unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition. Upon whom the ends of the world What are we to do? We're to look to Christ and Christ alone. Paul told those Hebrew believers, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Who? These people. The gospel was preached to these people. Where? In this Passover lamb. But notice what he said. Listen to what he says next. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them. Where's faith come from? Faith's a gift of God. No faith? They didn't see any life in any of it. They just saw temporal deliverance. Deliverance out from underneath Egyptian bondage. And you think about this. All throughout their, their pilgrimage, up until the time the Lord Jesus Christ came, God continually, by every mouth of his servants, he always pointed these national Israelites, including his elect, where did he point them to? To the promised Messiah who would put away their sin. Here's the second thing I'd point out to you. Because God promised he had passed over their sinfulness and their rebellion, and since his elect among national Israel believed and rested in Christ, God's Christ, God promised that when their children would ask, what mean you by this service? He'd enable his redeemed to, you know what, answer their questions according to the scriptures. What did they answer? It is the Lord's Passover. Definitively. Dogmatically. The subject of the Exodus record of Israel's captivity and deliverance is one of redemption. Not merely redemption or deliverance from Egyptian bondage, but redemption and deliverance from the wages of sin. 
That's what the Passover lamb symbolized. What did it symbolize? That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, not charging their trespasses unto them. You think about it. God promised to deliver these people. What had they been doing the whole time that all this was going on? Complaining. Murmuring. And in spite of all the complaining and all the murmuring while they were in bondage, who was faithful? God was faithful to his promise to his servant Abraham concerning his, his seed. And what did he promise to? I'm going to send a deliverer and I'm going to send deliverance. Moses saw the deliverance, did he not? Not just deliverance from the Egyptians. He told them, God's going to raise up a prophet like unto me. You hear him? Who was he talking about? Christ. Miriam saw it. She sung about it when they came, came up and had crossed that Red Sea. Joshua and Caleb saw it. Remember, they went into the promised land. They came back and said, it's just like God said. And he has struck fear in their hearts to deliver them into our hand. And those other spies gave an evil report, said, oh, no, there's giants in the land. Like Abraham before them by faith, they saw, they believed, and they understood the subject of all of it. And you think about this, when they, they gathered together with their children around about them, every Passover after that, and I tell you, they never missed one. They were still celebrating the Passover when our Lord Jesus Christ was on the planet. Matter of fact, they still celebrate the Passover today. Still looking for the promised Messiah. But every time when they gathered together to celebrate that Passover year by year until the true promised Passover came, and they were asked by their children, what mean ye by this servant? Those parents born of God, redeemed by God's grace. You know what? They could tell them. They could tell them. And I know they could tell them because I, I have scriptural evidence of it. I, here's, here's the only scriptural evidence I need that I know that these Old Testament Jews that were redeemed by God's grace saved through the promise. Adam and Eve. They taught their boys, did they not? How do we know they taught them? They, they knew and understood what it took for redemption because God had redeemed them. God killed the lamb. Right? God killed the lamb. He didn't give the knife to Adam and say, go give me a lamb. God killed it. And God made into them clothes of skin. And he put it on them. He didn't even send, hand it to them and say, here, fashion this for yourself. He put it on them. And they told those boys, Cain and Abel, from their childhood up, what? There's one way. There's only one way to approach this God. What? He has to be satisfied. And the only way he can be satisfied is through what? A substitute. Something that's innocent has to die in your place. And how do we know that one of them heard it? They came to worship, and one came with the works of his hand, the fruit from his garden, and the other came how? The way his mom and daddy had taught him. He came with a little lamb. And according to the book of Hebrews, it says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained testimony, witness. God, who witnessed? God witnessed. Uh-huh. That he was righteous. He 
He was a sinner, but in Christ, what was that lamb symbol? He was righteous. Why? God was satisfied. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet. Abel speaks today. Christ, you think about this, is that everlasting father. Remember in Isaiah calls, called him the everlasting father. Is the everlasting father. He taught his children while he was on the earth the true meaning of the Passover. Teaching them that it always points to who? Points to him. Listen to Paul. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Huh? Tell me these things aren't connected. Not important truth. Listen to our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the night he was betrayed. We'll, take, we'll read it out of the book of Matthew when we take the Lord's table in a few minutes. He said unto them, with desire. Now this is Christ. He's about to die. He says, with desire. That's with passion. The literal word is, it's a big word that I have trouble saying, concupiscence. That's the word. It means lustful passion. He says, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I die, before I suffer. That word Passover that he used, it means the paschal lamb. And that paschal lamb, who did it picture? It pictured the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist nailed it. Behold the Lamb of God, the Paschal Lamb, the one sin of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But here's the last thing we can gain from these words. If the subject of redemption was so interesting to those Jews when it was only seen in type and picture and shadow, what should it mean to you and me now that the Lord Jesus Christ, the sum and substance of it all, has come and finished salvation by his blood. If it was important to them, every Passover when they took it, their children, what mean you by this? It's the Lord's Passover. How much more important should it be before you and me? Moses said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Therefore shall you lay up these things, lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be frontlets between your eyes. And listen to this. And you shall teach your children. Shame on us. Shame on parents that do not obey God's commandment to teach their children. You shall teach your children speaking of them. Listen, how often? On Sunday when I bring them down here. No, listen. You'll speak of them when you sit sit at your house and when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house and upon thy gates that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land of the Lord, which the Lord has sworn unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. That was concerning that old covenant. What about the new covenant? What about the covenant of grace that Christ ratified by his blood? Folks, when it comes to this holy ordinance of the Lord's table, 
which our Lord instituted and gave to his church on the night that when he celebrated the Passover with his disciples before his death, we should be more diligent in attending to the ordinance and in turn being prepared to answer our children when they ask us, what, what does this mean? You remember when you was in false religion? And I remember they had the Lord's table, you know, and we, we, we was, I was always in a big church. I mean, Kenny went to smaller churches. I went to big churches. That's the first Baptist church in Manny, you know, four or 500 folks in there. And they'd, they'd have, you know, trays stacked up for days up in the front to get it up. And I remember as a child, you know, seven, eight, nine years, I couldn't wait to get my hands on one of them little cups. Didn't mean it. You know, all the time, even when I st- after I made that false profession at seven years old, my parents never told me, and that preacher never even told me what I was doing. Never explained any of that to me. It was just a ritual. It was a routine. You know, the only thing that they stressed was we used grape juice because we were teetotalers. <laughs> we're not going to have wine go across our lips. Well, folks, our Lord used wine. We used wine. You can't improve on what our Lord did. Times have not changed. But you think about how, how, how we should, should be willing to tell our kids, tell our grandkids. If, they, I tell you, if, if your children ask you today, your grandchild ask you today, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad ask you, what mean you by this service? Could you answer them? Could you? I tell, if I, listen, and this is the thing. This comes back full circle to what I started out with this morning. If our children... And our grandchildren and our family and our friends don't see how important this gospel is and this memorial is to us because of the great salvation that it sets forth before our eyes. Why would they ever ask you anything? Why? But if they did, could you tell them? That's the important thing. Could you tell them from the scriptures what the Lord's table means to you? I love what Mr. Hawker wrote on this, and I'll close with this this morning. He wrote this concerning the necessity and eternal importance of our being prepared and able to answer this question. He says, My soul, what sayest thou to these things? Hast thou children, a family, a household, a charge of souls about thee? And wilt thou not at thy return from the Lord's table or from the Lord's house to thine own house season thy conversation with speaking of Christ, his blood, his righteousness? Wilt thou not begin with the sweet subjection of rede- subject of redemption by way of calling up their inquiries, inciting the, exciting their attention? Wilt thou not tell them where thou hast been and what thou hast been at to the table of Jesus for, what thou hast seen there, what thou hast known, what thou hast enjoyed of the Lord's presence in his holy communion, surely their minds, how young soever, will long to know more and more of a service so truly interesting, and they will be looking forward to that time of their life when a rightness of understanding under the awakening influence of the Holy Spirit may prepare them to join the Lord at his table also, that they with all the ransom of the Lord may celebrate the Lord's Passover. Methinks, you know I didn't write that, methinks 
I hear the earnest question of such like the Jewish children, what mean you by this service? And that when opened and explained, followed up by a thousand more, hath Christ been your own Passover? Hath he been with you at the feast? Hath he manifested himself to your soul otherwise than he doth to the world? You think about that. He manifests himself to his people in a way he never manifests himself or reveals himself to the world. And hath Jesus, listen, this is one that got me. Hath Jesus made your heart burn within you while talking with you by the way and in making himself known to you in breaking of bread and in prayer? I tell you, I wrote this, and I'll close this. Oh, that you and me as God's children would use every means God has providentially given us to direct the minds of those who we know God providentially puts in our path, point them to Christ our Passover, the one whose flesh is meat indeed and whose blood, what is it? It's drink indeed. The only hope any sinner has is where? In Christ. If any man be in Christ, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Pray the Lord will bless that word to our heart, mind.